0: You're listening to Arrowhead Radio. Do my prejudices influence communication of the gospel? What is my position as a Christian on mission? Is Christianity compatible with other religious expression? Is evangelism simply white colonization? Do all expressions of faith lead to the same ultimate outcome? we can boldly face the relativism that is influencing missions and overtaking the clear message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, join us as we discuss complex issues facing the local church, as it serves Christ in obedience to the Great Commission. This is Mission of the Nations with host Grant Fawcett.
1: It has been a strange few months uh, at Arrowhead. And we have come to the end of our podcasts that we have had pre-recorded. And unfortunately, due to uh, social distancing regulations and all of those things that are in place, we can't have any guests come to our studio right now to record podcast episodes. We had planned to record uh, a series of episodes for Hope to the Nations um, and uh, several for Mission of the Nations that would have... been really exciting to share with you guys and hopefully we'll get to look at recording those in the future in the meantime uh, for the next several episodes what I've decided that I'll do is I'm going to share with you the recorded sessions from the Arrowhead Circle Summit that took place last October those were video recorded and uh, I will post a link in the liner notes to the video that you can watch uh, on our website Um, but uh, the audio for those will, uh, will be broadcast through the Mission of the Nations uh, podcast episodes over the next three or four uh, episodes. So hopefully you will find that an encouragement and a challenge and that there will be some things there that will cause you to uh, consider Christ uh, more critically and uh, consider your faith more critically and that uh, it will point you to the source of hope and light, and that is Jesus Christ. So, we're going to begin with our first episode uh, with Mark Dana uh, talking uh, about syncretism and disentangling syncretism, and uh, hopefully you'll enjoy that.
2: Yeah, it's a, it's a real privilege to be here uh, with you. I really appreciate Grant's zeal for, for subjects like this because I think it's really, really important. Um, I appreciate the, the team here at Arrowhead and I want to thank them also because, you know, I, they put this together. They, they had the vision, they put it together and uh, it's, it's a team working towards, uh, you know, furthering the gospel and, and uh, I, I'm very appreciative of that. And I'm looking forward to also hearing from the other speakers, because, you know, this subject is bigger than what any one person could actually handle. Like, I'd like to think that, I, you know, we could disentangle syncretism right here, right now, right? But uh, I don't think it's that simple. And I'm thankful that the Lord called me into the family that I was born into, um, he's made me, like, kind of in the middle of between two cultures. My, my dad is Penobscot from, uh, from Indian Island in Old Town. And my mother is, uh, is a local Maine person, a Maine, what do you call it? Not a maniac, but, a, <laughs> a Mainer. And, uh. I got involved with missions through uh, Miramichi Bible Camp, Carol and Kathy. And right away, I started to explore the whole idea of cultures and how there's differences, how there's sometimes misunderstandings, there's challenges that are huge sometimes. And so my life, I could say that, my life is, is like that because I've always been kind of in between. Like I could go, I could be seen like, well, people would talk to me about my native brothers and say, oh, well, those those Indians, you know. And I'd be sitting right there. And and then on the other hand, they might say, you know, oh, those white people, right? So, um, but that that's not something that's unusual. I, I think it's, Generally, the way people are. So this, this subject is a, a subject that really is part of human life. Not, it's not the best part of human life, but it is part of human life. And I'd just like to read um, scripture from Hebrews chapter 4 and verses 12 and 13. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of the soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. So there we just, we came to solve the problem of syncretism right there. Just the word of God. The word of God can address syncretism. So I guess that's the end of my uh, <laughs> we did it. We're, we're all done. Let's move on. Uh, well, the complicated part is the human part. Uh, and and the complicated part is the world we live in, right? So in order to First of all, to uh, in order to eliminate syncretism, I believe you have to have a new life, because see, we're sinners. We're, We're sinners. We're affected by sin, and we see the world through eyes that are affected by sin. We need a new life. We need the Spirit of God in us to start that process of sanctification. So I think the. The topic of syncretism falls into that category of sanctification because we could say that syncretism exists in like a religious setting, okay, people are following a certain religion but they're also following another set of beliefs and um, those beliefs are generally opposite of one another so, you know, we're following this road but then we're following that road and uh, when things go bad in this road, we go to that road. When things go bad in that road, we go to this road. So it's a question of, of loyalty as well, back and forth. Um, so in that whole, uh, that whole scenario, that's those people who don't know Jesus Christ. But those who know Jesus Christ, does that mean that we don't face the same problems? I don't think so. I think we face the same problems as those that are, are non-Christian. We can sometimes follow Christ like wholeheartedly, and then next thing you know, we're seeking other methods, other things that are other than Christ to, to actually try to fill that need in our lives. So the question of syncretism, I believe, is not going to really be settled until Jesus Christ comes back and he takes his rightful place and he, 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 he reigns over his kingdom and then I there won't be syncretism it'll be just our devotion to him and so syncretism I believe has to do with our lack of devotion to Christ and also has to do with our understanding of what it means to follow Christ. And you know, if we, sat, we asked uh, each person in this room, what does it mean to follow Christ? We'd probably come up with very different answers. They might have the same theme, but different answers as well. And uh, I, believe that the, uh, I believe that the topic of syncretism is best dealt with in a collective setting the body of Christ, I think that's crucial. We are one people, right? And I believe the gospel is multicultural in the fact of it's not just for one culture, it's for all cultures. So there's three elements I've identified just just to uh, make it hopefully simple. Three elements that cause or contribute to syncretism. And the first one is eisegesis, the second one, enculturation, and the third one, ethnocentrism. Alright, well those words, maybe you've heard them, maybe you don't, but we're going to define them as, uh, as we get into this, uh, this topic a little more, a little deeper. I'd just like to say that syncretism happens, in my view, on a worldview level. Okay, what is a worldview? Worldview is your outlook on life, right? What you've been your whole way of looking at life, your values, your culture are based on your worldview. What the, how does the world function? What is where are the origins of our our existence? And right now in our culture in North America, if you talk to people, they take they take basic, basically evolution as a fact, a basis for their worldview. So syncretism is is based on the way we look at our life, and only God can really address that in, in our understanding and God's word, because God's word is. Is able to handle syncretism. And uh, I think, I really believe that God's truth is best expressed in story. Because if we just take objective truth, Jesus was a man who lived in Palestine who claimed to be God. That's true. Is that what we believe as Christians? We say, yes, we believe that objectively. But there's so much more to that truth. He was an actual person who lived in Palestine, who lived for God in a perfect fashion, knew the Jewish culture in and out. He claimed to be the son of God, and he backed up those claims. He he challenged the faulty worldview of his family, of his tribe, of his nation, and and ultimately of the world, right? So objective truth is one thing, but truth is really embodied in the person of Jesus Christ. He is truth. And there's so much to the fact that he is God, and completely God in every area of His existence but he's also human because he came and he took on uh, human flesh so if you looked at Jesus Christ you're looking at God Hebrews 1 3 he's the exact image of the invisible God so when we're thinking about syncretism it's a it's a question that is God-centered And we start with God and we start with God's word and then we move on to disentangle. Syncretism, we'll get there, Grant, that's for sure. So, uh, enculturation, what does that mean? Here's a definition. The process by which an individual learns the traditional content of a culture and assimilates or takes in its practices and values. When do you start enculturation? First day you take a breath, you're, you're gonna start, you're in a family, you start learning about, about what it means to be a person in this family, what it means to be a person in this culture that you live in. And your mother tells you, you don't eat your dessert before you eat your food. And that's part of enculturation. So how many people still do that? Most people, but sometimes change it up, right, a little bit. Um, Enculturation passes on values through positive and negative reinforcement of these values. These are the rules of the culture. These are the rules keep the rules I really uh, got a had a really good visit with our foster son Clarence in uh, British Columbia and he just came to put his faith in Christ with his along with his um, girlfriend and uh, there was an episode of the Annie Griffith show that he really liked and he asked this question about it um Donnie uh, Deputy Fife, Don Knotts, for those that know him, he liked to really, you know, be a big man. And well, in this particular episode, um, his head was so swelled because they were bringing in hardened criminals to the Mayberry Jail. And for him, that, this was his chance to really show, you know, we're tough and you're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna taste a little bit of discipline here at this jail. So he pontificates about doing hard time in the big house. And he said, There's just one rule. Keep all the rules. (laughs) So that's enculturation. Like, there's just one rule. Keep all the rules. If you don't keep the rules, you're gonna somehow you're gonna go down in the eyes of other people, you're gonna have pressure on you, you're gonna have a little bit of chastisement because you broke you broke the rules and then there's another part of enculturation that's taboos and uh, taboo is something you're just not supposed to do right well this is election time here in Canada what is the taboo that comes along with that don't talk about politics at the dinner table well they just told us on the radio they said you know, this election is going to be decided over the, over the turkey dinner on Thanksgiving. Well, the truth is, there's a taboo about that, but what is that taboo for? It's to protect unity, right? Because there might be um, Uncle Joe, and he's going to start, you know, giving his opinion, and, and Cousin Sally, she doesn't like it, so they're going to get into a row, and pretty soon everybody's going to be quiet sitting there, uh uh-oh, what's going to happen next? And they're just, everyone's nervous. So because of that taboo, we don't talk much about sometimes very important issues. And uh, basically, taboos sometimes keep us from doing what is healthy. Talking about issues. uh, But how do we do that? Like learning how to do that, for instance, not to... To push our opinion above someone else, but to be able to really say, okay, I'll listen to you, you listen to me, what is the issue here? You know, what, what are we uh, agreeing on, what are we disagreeing on? Can we do that as people very easily? It takes practice, it takes really discipline, doesn't it? And we're afraid, I'm afraid. <laughs> I'm afraid of uh, sitting down and getting in a discussion with somebody and all of a sudden it blows up. And everybody gets mad and feelings hurt. And Well, those, those kind of taboos, they, they keep us from healthy aspects of life. Discussing issues like syncretism is a healthy thing. And in a tribe in Paraguay, this is really, um, really illustrated. There's a tribe in Paraguay where... It was basically survival plus fear and maybe, you know, the the social, the social unit. But one of the taboos was that after a woman gave birth, she wasn't allowed to eat certain foods. Well, the missionary realized that those very foods that she was not supposed to eat were actually very healthy for a woman who had given birth. So... As a result, there was a lot of women who, who actually died keeping this taboo, the tribe keeping the taboo. So I believe that taboos are something that Satan uses to keep us from having this freedom to explore what God really wants us to know about an issue, about our world and, that, and also our relationships. So it's a healthy thing and you know when you challenge these taboos or these customs then there's pushback and uh, I saw this this movie and it's really quite quite interesting it's called the Padman and it's uh, really about a man who loved his wife this is in taking place in India he loved his wife and he noticed that the way that the Indian women dealt with menstruation was unhygienic and, and not it didn't work. There was taboos that affected that particular subject because that was a woman's subject, and men were not had nothing to do with that subject. It's a little bit like that today with most most cultures. But this man loved his wife and he was concerned for her. So he went about, a poor man in a small village, how could he make a a pad that would help his wife be safe and other women save many lives? Because the doctor told him that many women lost their lives because of that. So he he started to try to perfect this product. And you know, the more he tried to do that, the more he he got the whole village against him. First of all, his wife was terribly embarrassed. What is this guy, a pervert? He's crossing lines. He's crossing lines that shouldn't be crossed. And he finally got to the point where, and here he was failing in what he was trying to do. They kicked him out of the village. They said, you are shaming us. You this is, you just do not belong here. So he, he actually lost his... He lost his wife, he, for a certain period of time, but did that stop the man? Nope, he kept right on going. He finally found someone to help him and he developed this product that was very inexpensive and he got to the point where the UN recognized him for his contribution. And so at that point, being a hero, the village asked him back. His wife asked him back. And, and uh, he was an overcomer. But what a price he paid, right? So that's a little bit like also us as Christians because for a while we're going to look like the losers because we're going to cross over lines sometimes that other people consider taboo. Talking about religion, for instance, and we'll suffer a bit of pushback for that. So if we're not willing to pay that pushback, then that's also where syncretism can come back. Is that we just kind of blend with the culture and we don't talk about what the culture doesn't talk about. We don't practice what we practice what the culture practices and we just hold on to the values and we say oh, okay, we're we're fine. We're involved, we're we're very much integrated in society and everything is good. And we also could preach messages that kind of reinforce that as well. So, enculturation teaches values, and these values are are really often very good. But the question is, how are they connected to other parts of the story? For instance, it's a right thing, I think we we could agree on that, it's a right thing to obey authority. But in Germany, to obey authority was a really high value. And is it a good thing to obey the authority of Adolf Hitler, for instance? That was was a question that people had to ethically answer. So the values that we hold, sometimes they're good, but they're not balanced. It might seem right to crush the enemies of God, the blasphemy, the blasphemers of God, we might not do it like physically, but if we could vote in an election and crush someone, we might say, okay, that's, that's okay. But the idea is that basically if we don't have the attributes of God to know true justice, and if we don't have the mercy of God and the love of God towards those people, then, then what are we? We see that happening in the world of Islam, and uh, there are people that think that they're carrying out the justice of God by applying you know, violence, and they believe they're doing what is, what is right, but it's connected to the wrong aspects of the overall story, because we know that our truth is connected to the story of God, and how he has made the world. And we've seen also in um, in chapter three of Genesis where mankind basically dishonored God, disobeyed God, um, where we walked away from God, we sided with God's enemy. Uh, You can go on and on what, what actually happened there. But we know that at that particular point, God didn't say, okay, well that's done, you, you get, I'm done with you, let's move on. No, he right away he had a plan to bring his son into the world to live a perfect life, to be rejected by man, and to die on a shameful cross, pay up, really a... Painful death in every aspect that you could possibly think of. And after he died, he, he rose again. And because he rose again, God's people can know that we will never be ashamed. We will never be ashamed. We will someday experience the victory that he's won for us. So I really believe that syncretism is going to be dealt with by living a cross-centered life. So one, another one of the E's that I mentioned is isogesis, And that technically has to do with reading into the Bible text when you're doing, when you're doing a exeg- exegesis, bring things out of the text while well, we're reading into the text. But I like Mike Matthew's uh, way of widening the concept where he says that actually at Genesis three, when we turned our back on God, we became uh, separated from God. We started to see the world through our own lens. And we do see our, we see through the eyes of, I now know good and I now know evil. So I can look at someone, and in a second I can just say, "I don't want. I don't. I think that guy's wrong. I don't like that. I don't want anything to do with him. Whatever." We do this on a regular basis. It's part of being human. Unfortunately, it's easy for us. Like if we looked at another culture, animism, people involved in that, we well those people. They're involved in syncretism, or they're, uh, you know, they're involved in um, other wicked pras- practices. But then, by saying that, we, we don't see ourselves how gossip, for instance, could be used by the enemy to destroy as much as some of these other tactics that Satan has. So we have a tendency to be able to see the fault in someone else, but not to see it in ourselves. So that's kind of good fodder for, for, um, for syncretism. And basically, it's the way our minds are made. You might have seen this on the internet, where you can leave certain letters out of a uh, sentence, and you can still understand the sentence, because your, your brain fills in all the blanks, right? And that's what eisegesis does. Like, if we see a car abandoned by the side of the road, all of a sudden we've got this picture in our mind, well, maybe somebody hijacked the car or somebody ran out of gas. We don't know the story, but we're we're trying to build that story. Well, that's what eisegesis does when we look at the Word of God. We're trying to add stuff in that feels good culturally to us, but it really doesn't necessarily have any basis in God's Word. So that has to do with uh, the way we're made. And unfortunately, it's not not the best kind of thing, but it's the reality. Um, The way we see it, I think we have a distorted view of God just by being sinners. And only the Holy Spirit in me and the Word of God will line things up. So that I can look at God and I can look at my fellow man in a correct manner. So syncretism happens in that aspect of a distorted adding things to God's word that really have no basis. They're cultural and they feel good, they feel right, but they might not be. And then there's the other side of the story that I'd like to say, is that basically every culture I believe has a, a possibility of bringing something to the body of Christ, an aspect of looking at God or an aspect of God that other cultures don't necessarily see. Because they're looking at the, the world through a, a different lens. Like for instance, if here in North America we're highly individualistic, that's the way we think. You know, I think of what I'm going to do. This is my walk with the Lord. You have your walk with the Lord. But in time of the scriptures, uh, it really was not like that. It was a very much a collective collective society. And people from collective society have certain insights that someone from an individualistic country or place don't necessarily have. So they can help us understand things. I uh, I heard this story, I read this story. Some people put honor higher than the ab- absolutes of right and wrong. Like, if I dishonor somebody, it's a bigger transgression in the eyes of that person than if I... Um, Speed, let's say, um, okay, then, then there's the other way around. Speeding would be worse than dishonoring somebody. So this is to illustrate that, that particular point of view. Someone from the point of view of the that legal, not legalistic, legal side of things that there's right and there's wrong, you obey the, you obey the laws of the land and the courts and you also you obey the rules of society. Then, this is the story. There was a, a an Asian pastor and there was a North American pastor traveling together. And uh, the Asian pastor recognized that the man was following the speed limit to the letter, and he was, you know, he was following all the rules. But then they came to a construction site, and they were sitting there. And they had to get at a meeting and got more and more tense. Like you could feel the pressure going up in the, in the car and the pastor was getting quiet. And so the other Asian man said, why don't you just pass on the right? Go, go that way and you can get around the construction. And the man said, well, that would be against the law. And then time went on a little bit more. And you could sense the pastor, was, his pressure was going up. Finally, he rolled down the window and he said to the construction person, What are you doing? Are you working or what? Come on, I'm try- I've got a meeting to go to. And he just like blasted these construction workers who are just out there, you know, working in the heat. They're not getting paid much, and so he blasted them. So this, this East Indian man or this Eastern, East Asian man said, Well, you know, does he really believe in sin? Because I mean, it's what you know. He believes in keeping the law, and, and if you break the law, that's wrong. But to yell at somebody, to dishonor them, to embarrass them, and in, in their trouble, that that's not sin. So, that being said, I, we can learn about sin in different aspects. Because a lot of this topic about syncretism has to do with ethics, how we get along with one another and uh, a lot of collective societies they put a lot of uh, emphasis on relationship more than they do um, the the laws of the land now that for most people that's hard to to swallow and we would say don't they believe in sin so uh, we're kind of at a standoff at that of that but the more that our culture lines up with his word uh, is a measure of right practice. And that, I think that's what, what, one of the things that's going to help eliminate syncretism is right practice of God's word, like have a balance to be able to, to do that. And I believe that happens in the body of Christ. I don't believe that I'm going to do it or Grant or Andy but it's going to be us because the Holy Spirit is actually active in the body of Christ. And he's put members of the body that are able to discern truth from God's word. He's, he's got trained people in the body that are teachers. He's got pastors. He's got people who just encourage others. I mean, there, there's, there's every aspect that we could think of in the body of Christ. And that is really what we should be emphasizing is that unity that we have in the body of Christ. And one thing that we're supposed to do in the body of Christ is honor one another, not just the speakers, the high level speakers, but the the people who sit in the back row and they can hardly walk, or those who can't see, or those who, you know, are poor. Those are the people we are supposed to give more honor to. And that's very much uh, taught in the New Testament. So, a verse in Galatians. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Jesus Christ. So that's the emphasis is the oneness that comes from being in Christ. Anything that that tries to Pull that away, to, to tries to pull us away from that, is far is really f- fertile soil for syncretism. And we can in the body of Christ seek actively to eliminate some of these barriers that we've put up because of our human nature. Sometimes those barriers are economic. Sometimes those barriers are skin color, sometimes they're uh, you know, like a person that's handicapped or non-handicapped. All these barriers that we could put up as human beings to say, oh well that person, well he really wouldn't qualify for anything. He, he's just, you know, he's there but he's not much value really. So when it comes to Native people, I'm saying that really we should value as a church, native the native community, and um, I'm thankful that we're here. I'm sure that this was at one time Maliseet territory. Uh, so we're here; we are on on their territory in a sense. And I think we should honor them. At the same time, <coughs> that I don't believe that means we have to buy into all of their worldview, necessarily. I am from a family where my cousins are extremely into the traditional belief. Um, I, I respect them because, I mean, they're amazing people. But at the same time, I hope we'll be able to be able to discuss some of these issues. It's really, really hard because people are looking so hard to find their identity and, and to feel like, you know, well, I do matter. I am someone who's important. Because society has said, oh, you're not important. You're really not important. You know, you don't belong here. And all these messages are being sent. Well, I think as a church we can send the opposite message. You do belong here. God is actually a God that is a wonderful host that wants people to come to him. All people. He doesn't want just the higher class ones. He doesn't want the rich. He wants everyone to come. And it's our place to work on the, bringing down some of these barriers that we've put up. And these are part of being ethnocentric, saying, oh, because in my culture, I follow the rules, right? if somebody doesn't follow the rules of my culture, then there's something going to have to happen here. Like, oh, well, why don't they? Uh, They should. They should be just like me. And uh, that's, that's been a problem with mankind. The Jews were like that. And there was Acts chapter 15 where they dealt with that issue. Because in a Jewish person's mind, to be Jewish was to keep the law and to keep the law was to be Jewish. That was their identity. And Paul had to deal with that because the Gentiles were also invited into the body of Christ. And that would be most of us here. So we have, we have no, um, no reason to, to boast or in ourselves, in our pedigree well, we do have a reason to boast in the grace of God that reaches out to all people. So what does that mean in the body of Christ? If a, an East Asian person comes into the body of Christ, they have something to offer the body of Christ. We're not all gonna follow the East, East Indian traditions and we hope they won't all follow all of our traditions. We might have the same, some of the things we can share But that's not our our goal. The gospel is for all people. When he made that promise to Abraham, he said, in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. And the gospel is global in the very essence of it. If we say it's just for the Jews, it's not the gospel. If we say it's just for the Gentiles, it's not the gospel. It's for everyone, regardless So I think it's, I would like to say this because I I really, um, I believe it's important to sit down and discuss issues like I mentioned before. And that's what exactly what they did in Acts chapter 15. They went back to focusing on God. They got their eyes off the issue they got their eyes off of themselves and they focused on what is God doing, what did he do? And that's what Peter, at that conference he said, this is what happened to me. And he explained how that the, the gospel had come to the Gentiles and that they had received it. And then Paul, he, he had to deal with the issue of ethnocentrism because people were preaching in order to be a, a christian you have to be a jew you have to follow all the customs and traditions of the jewish people and Paul said that's not the case i he said i am a jew i am you know a top-rate jew i put that all aside for the the joy of following after christ and and to get to know him and his resurrection he was very much <coughs> focused on god so this whole conference council was was focused on God and they discussed this issue. How are we going to eliminate some of these barriers between us? Uh, the pressure that's being put on Gentile Christians to, to follow the Jewish way, to become more Jewish so they'll be sanctified. So ethnocentricity was there at that conference. They discussed the issue and it, they came to a resolution it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and, it, and to us. I find real blessing in that. Good to the Holy Spirit and good to us. Isn't it wonderful? that That peace? Paul, the Lord bless you, go to the Gentiles. Peter, God bless you, go to the Jews. Go with the blessing of the church. Right now, people are, because of our, I believe because of our individualistic culture, people are making decisions like, schools are making decisions, all right, well we're gonna go in this direction when it comes to contextualization and bringing things into the body of Christ that are traditions from the native community. And they're making this decision with the people who are promoting that side of things but then they've not actually taken the time to sit down with those that don't believe that way because there's some very solid Christians that don't believe that way they we can say okay well they've been influenced by the missionaries which is true but at the same time they hold on to a point of view of the word of god that is that is another different point of view so why should they not be consulted why should they not have a voice to say, okay, this is where we stand and this is where you stand. Well, can't we come to some kind of agreement in the word of God? Like, where do we draw the lines? God draws the lines, right? It's not us. We might draw it like, okay, this is my territory. This is your territory. But God is, when he judges or he, he uh, draws the lines, they're, they're, they're correct. And we will feel peace, in our relationships with other people, and the gospel will be more, will be clearer. Um, Already, Christians for a long while, like native people are saying, well, do I have to not be native to follow Christ? I have to completely buy into the non-native culture, or to be a Christian, do I just follow all my traditions and just bring it into Christ? and and then I'm a real identity person. I, I have my identity. Well, I really believe that it's the focus of looking to God and what he did for us. We are in need of redemption, and that's what Jesus Christ did for us. We're also in need of good relationships with one another. And the good relationships don't just happen they, they have to be worked at. And communication has to happen. So sitting down and discussing an issue like this can avoid syncretism. And uh, my, my final point is that I believe there is a good contextualization where we could actually take the text of God's word, do due diligence in, in bringing out the truth of what is being communicated to the original hearers in that culture, and then walking through the steps to make it really applicable to us where we are. And then God's word is, has been applied to our lives because we need to apply it to our lives. And with another culture, things like creation, for instance, with native people, high, high on people's value system why can't we take the theme of creation and really bring that out to somebody because if they really value that? So, or we really value that. So we basically are building on something that's in God's word, and it's uh, solid in God's word, and we're teaching His truth. And there's another aspect: His covenant is another aspect. We're talking a lot about treaties these days. Treaties were more than just agreements. There was an aspect of sacredness in a treaty or a covenant. This goes way back to people way back in, in Palestine where people made covenants, God made covenants with his people. It was sacred. It was not just an agreement that that, uh, okay, we put it on paper, okay, well, it's not good anymore, rip it up. No, it was between two people, and each person's um, honor was, was in, in, uh, at risk if we broke it. So if people, First Nations people, think along those lines, why can we not really teach on those lines about how God enters into a covenant with me, with me and with you and in, in the church. And how he's faithful. He will never break his promises. He will never break his covenant. It's always us that are the ones that break the covenant. So we can't promote the fact that one culture is so much better than the other culture. Because... The culture in control is obviously gonna be the one that is oppressing. The culture who's not in control is the one that's gonna be oppressed. And I've, I believe that if you switch the tables, you turn the tables, then that one will be oppressing that one. I'm afraid it's part of being human and not letting the grace of God govern our lives. We will oppress. You, you look at history of mankind, it's not just one group. It's not just nations. It's in families. It's, it's in our own lives. This, this tendency to have, want to have power over others and to control others. So I'm kind of uh, maybe uh, wandering here a bit, but uh, we have to ask ourselves the question, not just is it, is it right, is it permittable, but is it edifying? Does it build up? We are building the building of God, the temple of God. God is actually doing it, but we're the people who participate in that. Uh, The Holy Spirit dwells in the church. We're one people being built together for a dwelling place of God. This is a reoccurring teaching through all the scripture, God dwelling with man. The very last verses of Revelation, that's, that's the message. God will come down, to live with mankind. We are the church. We should not embrace multiculturalism. We should embrace God and then embrace the manifold wisdom of God. And that word manifold, in that particular context, I just did a quick search. I, I don't really know it in, in the Greek or anything, but it means different, differing colors. The differing colors in the body of Christ resounds to the glory of God. We have that privilege of experiencing God's glory because he shares that with us in the church by his Holy Spirit. We should make that known to the world. And this is something that we can only do by applying the Word of God, by by also exploring the issues, um, attacking our taboos, and you know, that's the whole process of, of confronting the wrong, distorted aspects to our way of looking at life. So I hope we can do that in this weekend. Well, it's something that God will do, and we can be a part of it. So we praise Him for that. Thank you.
0: This has been a broadcast of Arrowhead Radio, a ministry of Arrowhead Native Bible Center. You can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com anbc.ncem. Look for a new episode next week, wherever you find your favorite podcasts.